Good morning. Today's scripture is from Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 22. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in the foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he knew he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named." He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Good morning, Terranova. It just occurred to me as I said, good morning. That's the third time you've been good morning. Right. Have you been sufficiently good morning today? <laughs> Somebody said nope. That's funny. My name is Dennis Gardner. I serve as, as one of the pastors here at Terra, and I have the opportunity at times to be able to speak the word on a Sunday morning, so I am glad and excited to be here today. Um, and I don't do this often, but as a sermon listener, um, more often than a preacher, I've, I've enjoyed the way that we've taken the book of Hebrews over these past few months, and, and, um, and we've taken the main theme of Jesus being better than all else, and we've used that word better in which to like parse up all of these sub-themes. Um, I've liked that, and, and it, it has caused me to um, not look at the book of Hebrews the same ever again, and I think that's kind of a good thing, uh, but we've gone through better covenant, we've gone through better than angels, we've seen better model, better human, better glory, better Melchizedek, remember that one? Has anybody had a favorite one? Any standout better than that, that might have jumped out? All right, no hands. High better high priest. Anything else? Anyone else? Better than 
Better than the angels? Yeah, those were good ones. I was just curious. Didn't attach to anything. <laughs> See, that's not a favorite. <laughs> but we're now in better faith. And better faith is going to be four parts. Pastor Tori preached on the first part last week. We're going to be in part two today. And today's portion that was just read, the writer is continuing to use examples of well-known saints and situations uh, to prove the point of, of our faith. And by, by well-known examples, uh, they were well-known examples to the original readers of Hebrews. And if you've been a Christian for an appropriate amount of time, they hopefully are well-known examples to us. And if you were here last week, you may recall that one of Pastor Tory's uh, big takeaways regarding faith is is about how, it's not about how much faith the Christ follower has, it's about who we have faith in, yes? And today we're going to focus on how the promises of God, be they an object or a destination or a goal, a thing that we have our faith for, is ultimately about the one that we have faith in, right? The amount of faith we have is about him, the promised object of our faith is about him. And we just heard today's passage as it was read by Megan. Um, it's pretty promise heavy. Five times in that passage the word promise or promised has been used. And if you read this passage in, in another translation, the word promise is probably used even more times. And, and we love the promises of God, don't we? We just love the promises of God. There's a 137-year-old hymn written by Russell Carter, Standing on the Promises. Does anyone know that hymn? It's a real flagon-swinging kind of hymn. Standing, standing on the promises, you know. And it's good, and the sentiment is good, and the premise of the song is not wrong, and we can and we should stand on the promises of God. But we can get so focused on the end game that we forget this. The promises of God reveal who God is. A couple weeks ago, we were in Hebrews chapter 10, and verse 23 said this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The promise is not the main object. The he is the main piece. The point that's being made in today's passage it's not about the promised land. It's not about the better descendants. It's not about the better inheritance. The purpose of the things are meant to reveal God to the world. Amen? Did I come out swinging? Sorry. <laughs> Didn't really ease into that sermon too much, but let's go into our main point. Our main point for today is faith is forward-looking because the founder and perfecter of our faith is completely trustworthy. Okay? So now let me start with a question here. If you're a follower of Christ, or maybe you're a future follower of Christ, or a potential follower of Christ, have you ever heard or asked this question, how do I know God's will for my life? Or have you ever been frustrated by the question, how do I know God's will for my life? Well, if you've ever asked that question of somebody who knows the answer, the answer is clear. It's in your Bible. But that's kind of a big answer, right? I think the question sometimes that we ask is a little more, why aren't the principles and the instructions in my Bible as clear as I'd like them to be? 
How do I know God's will for my life is a legit question. But not if you're asking it in a way that says, I wish the Bible was like a horoscope where I can just flip it open and point at it and it'll say, God's will for your life today is blank. I'm not saying the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible does reveal God's will for our life. But, I, but let's be honest, right? We want a little more specificity sometimes when we're reading the scripture. And we're going to touch on this as we go along. Or maybe, or maybe you are in the scripture. Maybe you're reading the scripture and you thought, well, it's easy for the biblical forefathers to have the kind of faith that we've seen in today's passage. It's because of the way God spoke to them. It would be so much easier for me to have a deep, deep faith in God if he spoke to me the way he speaks to the patriarchs, right? A burning bush that speaks audibly, that, that'd be nice, you know? I wouldn't have to question God's will for my life then. Or an angelic visitation, yeah, easy to have faith when God speaks that way. I'd even settle for a donkey talking to me. <laughs> but here's the gist of it. Here's, here's like a real dodoy statement. Following after God in faith is easier said than done, and it can be hard. And you think, well, I'm 100% behind the concept of following God in faith, and I'm totally willing to do it, right? I'm on board with the clear do's and don'ts and that we see in the Bible, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet. Yep, got it, all good. But I'd be far more willing to be forward-believing in God in faith if I knew specifics. Am, am I, is this just me, or, am I, or is this, does this resonate, right? Following after God in faith, how do we do that? Hopefully, Abraham's example um, from today, if we can use it as a guide, and we'll tackle some of that, all right? Main point, faith is forward-looking because the founder and perfecter of our faith is completely trustworthy. Faith, which we talked about last week and could be talking about, is a, is a big concept, right? But faith incorporates, it works in tandem with, it's even tied to other biblical concepts that's going to comprise today's three-point roadmap. So the roadmap looks like this. Recognizing God's direction, which is the plan. Obeying God's direction, which is an action. And hoping in our faith, which is our motivation. All right, now I know, look, this is a little ambitious. Because each one of these pieces of the roadmap could be its own sermon. Frankly, each one of those is its own book. So it's probably not smart on my part to do this, but the sermon's already written, so let's go. <laughs> faith is forward-looking. Why? Because the founder and perfecter of our faith is completely trustworthy. So let's dig into recognizing God's direction, or how do we know God is speaking to me? This portion is going to be pretty practical, just a heads up on that. So we've already touched on it. We've already, I've already, in my introduction, we've talked about faith. We've seen it in today's passage. Faith is being tied to a direction or a promise or a goal. We've already breached the question, how can I know God's direction and promise or goal for me? How do I know when God is speaking to me? I want to have faith like Abraham, but we want to have direction. So let's go to the source. I'm going to go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is the first thing that we hear about in the scripture about Abraham. The only thing we've heard about Abraham prior to this piece of scripture is the name of his wife and where he lived. It says this in Genesis 12, 1. 
right out of the gate, first thing we hear about Abraham, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now tuck that all the families of the earth thing. Tuck that away for a little bit later. God tells Abram what to do. Gives him a promise and gives him a direction. Now, Abraham didn't have the written word of God, right? Neither did Adam, neither did Eve, neither did Cain or Abel or Noah. How did God speak to them? Right? Those first few words. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, outside of those previous supernatural examples that we suggested of donkeys and angels and shrubbery, Scripture also reveals the triune God to us by a you recognize this term? A still, small voice. Have we heard this one? Most famously, we hear about the still, small voice in 1 Kings chapter 19. We have Elijah, the prophet. He's on Mount Horeb. And three phenomena shake the mountain that he's on. And so we'll pick it up. We will pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And he, God, said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord... And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. That still, small voice, that internal voice, that seems to be a little more like our experience, isn't it? Right? We don't have many burning bushes or, or earthquakes speaking to us. But it's that still, small voice seems to be more our experience. But here's the rub. Right? We sincerely want God's direction as Christ followers so that we can obey him and walk it out in forward-looking faith. But how do we know what's God's voice and what's mine? Have you ever asked that question? Is that God speaking or is that just me? Where are these thoughts coming from? Is it my mind? Is it my emotions? Or is it the still small voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to me? You know where we can find the answer to that? It's in your Bible. <laughs> it's in your Bible. What we want to do when we hear God's voice, is we want to tie our thoughts to Scripture. Right? It famously says in Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Because here's the truth. I told you this was going to be practical. The more we are in the word of God, the more confident we become in discerning God's voice from our own. Can I say that again? The more that we are in the word of God, the more confident we become in discerning God's voice from our own. And God will never tell us to do anything that is conflicting to his word. Right? 
So you hear a still small voice. You want to know, is that God? Ask. Can this still small voice parallel God's written word? Can I connect my thoughts to a biblical truth? Church, know your Bible. God's voice tends to be clearer when we are regularly reading our scripture. Then, attach it to a prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. It is okay if you think you are hearing God's voice to take prayerful time to know if God is speaking, guiding, or directing us. Right? Time is a tool that kind of susses out these thoughts. Are they emotionally based? We, we know emotions can come and go. Right? Or is the still small voice that of the Holy Spirit? Do these thoughts that I think God is speaking to me, do they stand the test of time? It's a good way to know if God is speaking to us. And then attach that to being close to people who love and serve God. Get counsel from trusted Christian brothers and sisters. Right? Moses had the burning bush. Right? Moses was on Mount Sinai where the finger of God actually gave the Ten Commandments to him. But when things got a little overwhelming, he went to his father-in-law for advice. Right? He so sought out wise counsel. So, if you can take your, I think God is saying to me, blank, and you tie it to scripture, and you take time to pray about it, and you confide in a reliable fellow saint. So yes, discerning God's voice, which is our first point, is not always easy. On the other hand, this is straight up Sunday school advice, right? I just told you, read your Bible, pray, and go to church. <laughs> and then also there's one other piece that you can ask, is God speaking to me? Is the ultimate goal of this direction that you feel a thing that will glorify God? Because it's not about us, and it's not about the thing so much as it's about him. Will it sow seeds of sin and flesh, or will it sow seeds of the Spirit? Remember from earlier, the promises of God are not ultimately about us. The promises of God reveal who God is. So if I could put a, a, a tack in point number one, I present James 4, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Amen? Amen. Faith is forward-looking, because the founder and perfecter of our faith is completely trustworthy. And we're going to move into obedience. Let's say... All right, let's say you've heard the voice of God. You've heard him speak. You're confident that this is the voice of God, that this is his direction. You have a direction, and then you remember saying to yourself, boy, it would be so much easier to put my faith in God if I had a clear direction. And then you realize that the obedience part might not be so easy either. Right? This requires faith. Right? So we're going to revisit Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, when we first hear about Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You know, almost every tangible thing that's important to you. Just piece of cake, just go. 
But Abraham's faith is tied to, Abraham's faith, like ours, is tied to obedience. Right? Let's go back to Tory's, Pastor Tory's definition. Faith is a confident trust in God's word, no matter the circumstances or the consequences. He said that to us last week. I would add, even if the circumstances don't look the way that you think they're going to look. So we'll go back to today's passage, and we're going to use verse 11 as a bit of a case study on the idea of faith being tied to obedience. Verse 11 says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. The author of Hebrews here gave us the happy ending. Let's see what Abraham and Sarah's faith-based obedience looked like, shall we? We're going to go back to Genesis, chapter 15. Um, these are long and big passages, so if you see a lot of ellipses, that's because I'm, I kind of put it all together to, to, to make it a little bit easier. So in Genesis 15, it says, it says some of this. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. We're not going to talk about visions. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You have given me no offspring. And the word of the Lord came to him. Your very own son shall be your heir. It's pretty clear. Look to heaven, the number of the stars, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Then we move to Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, or Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my Egyptian servant Hagar, that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. Not a great plan. This plan resulted in contempt and jealousy between the women, and Hagar and her son had to run away. We move on to Genesis 17, and it says, God promised the birth of Isaac. God promised the birth of Isaac by Sarah. And a 100-year-old Abraham laughed. And then in Genesis 18, God promised the birth of Isaac by Sarah, and a 90-year-old Sarah laughed. So I asked this, did they have faith? Or was God's voice not clear enough to Abraham and Sarah? Or did they lose faith by these actions? I would argue no. They didn't lose faith, they lost patience. Right? They ran ahead of God. They had faith, but they were trying to fulfill God's promises in their own power and on their own terms. And it's easy to point the finger. It's easy to be the Monday morning quarterback and say, you didn't listen to God, that was kind of dumb. But these were people who were learning how to trust God. There was no book that said this is how you trust God. They were learning. So now let's juxtapose that piece of narrative with today's, today's verses here in 17 and 19. 
Verse 17 of today's passage. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the story, real quick, Genesis 22 recounts a time when God commanded Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, into the wilderness and to offer him up as a sacrifice. And at the last minute, God stops Abraham. And the general takeaway of, of this passage was that God was testing Abraham's faith via obedience. All right? Um, and if you are unfamiliar with this particular story, it may sound weird. I'm, I don't want to take the time to go into the specifics of that, but a lot has been written about the narrative of Isaac's sacrifice. So if you, if you check out the Bible Project, if you just type in the Bible Project, Isaac's sacrifice, those guys wrote a really good summation of that. So. But do you see the evolution here of the faith of, of Abraham, right? With Isaac's birth... God promises a great thing that's seemingly impossible to a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman, and Abraham runs ahead of God. Right? With Isaac's sacrifice, God requires a seemingly terrible and unthinkable thing. Abraham obeys immediately. Right? Abraham's faith had grown, right? and it fed his obedience. Right? Both of these instances... Isaac's birth and Isaac's sacrifice, they seem out of sync with what God previously promised to Abraham and Sarah. But we're supposed to feel this dilemma. We're supposed to feel that dilemma because God asks us to obey even when it doesn't make sense in our own thoughts. Faith-based obedience requires us to stay the course in our obedience. Faith is confident trust in God's word, no matter what the circumstances or the consequences, even if the circumstances don't look the way we think they should look. How do we stay the course then? We hear God's voice. We want to obey him. We start to obey him. How do we stay the course in obedience to God? Read the Bible. Take time to pray. Go to church. Abraham didn't obey because of what God promised. Abraham believed something that allowed him to obey. Abraham's obedience flowed from his faith. So let me put a tack in the second part of this. I put a tack in it. I present Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. The Apostle Paul speaking about Abraham. <laughs> no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Amen? Amen. Point number three. Hope in our faith. Hearing God's voice can be hard. Obeying God's direction can be hard. But a forward-looking, hopeful trust 
shouldn't be hard. Right? For this, we're going to camp out in verse 13, where it says this. All of these, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Is that a bummer? Right? It sounds like a bummer, man, but it's really not. Right? And thanks to the beautiful synergy between faith and hope, it's not a bummer. Right? Having faith in something in the future, which is what the patriarchs had to do, manifests itself as hope. And, and it's right there in verse 1 that we did last week, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Faith is an unfinished story. Hope is what makes our faith forward-looking. Faith and hope, different but connected. And now I'm going to give a little illustration. It's not a perfect illustration of the big picture of what we're talking about, but it does a decent job in the relationship between faith and hope. A father is away on a business trip, right? He calls up his child and he says, when I get home next week, I'm going to bring you to that amusement park that you always wanted to go to. And after that, I'm going to buy you that bike that you've always wanted so that you can ride around with your friends. That child believes these promises. The child believes them based on the father's word, which is faith. Simultaneously, the child, that belief that the child has kindles a thrilled, anticipatory joy within the child. That's the hope. Right? That's why not having received the things promised but having greeted them from afar is not a bummer. Right? Because as was said at the beginning, the thing that we have faith for is ultimately about who we have faith in. It's not about us. And when a believer hears and believes God's word and actively obeys God's word and has assurance for the unseen things that they hope for, that believer has faith. Praise God. Faith is informed by the things of the past, grown out by living it in the present, but ultimately faith is a forward-looking future thing. And just to hammer this biblical concept home, let's return to today's passage, verses 20 through 22. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. All of these are evidence of the faith of Abraham and his descendants on their deathbed. On their deathbed, they held on to their faith and passed it on to the next generation. Were they bummed out? Man, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think they retained that hope right until the end. They, they remained forward-looking because the founder and perfecter of their faith proved himself completely trustworthy. Amen? Amen. Amen.
hearing God's voice, obeying God, having hope in our faith. So you remember that all the families of the earth part of Genesis, that first part of Abraham's story that I suggested you tuck away? All the families of the earth, within that piece, we see how our faith is tied to that of the patriarchs. Verse 10 in our passage today says, For he, talking about Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Or in the NLT, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Was Abraham's faith so forward-thinking that he knew the promises of God made to him weren't about just his physical bloodline. That the promises that God made to him all the way back then were not just about his descendants. They were not just about a promised land. Well, verse 10 seems to say that very thing to us. The forward-looking faith didn't stop when Moses and Joshua brought the nation of Israel into the promised land. Did the faith stop? When I was doing some research, I found um, some commentary uh, by the Gospel Coalition's website. And the commentary on verse 10 says it like this, and I think it says it really well. The writer of Hebrews shows that Abraham, and by extension his children, or all the families of the earth, looked forward beyond their own lives. The reference to the city that has foundations might be an echo of the visions seen in the prophets, like Ezekiel and Isaiah and, and, and Revelation. That city, foundations by God, is the new Jerusalem, a feature of God's eventual conquest over sin and death. Their faith explicitly led them to believe that God's ultimate purpose for them was not earthly, but heavenly. It wasn't all about the promised land. And the patriarch's faith is our faith. And verse 15 supports this with like weird common sense argument. If the patriarchs were merely looking for some physical territory, they had every opportunity to go back where they started, and yet they did not. Their reason for waiting faithfully was an understanding that God's ultimate plan reached into eternity. And we are part of that, church, right? Do we, then, in forward-looking faith, with all the practical pieces that we talked about today by hearing God's voice and obeying God, do we live out faith like that? We should. Because to the New Testament Christian, right, to the grafted-in descendant of Abraham, We have experienced the partial fulfillment of God's eventual conquest over sin and death that will lead to the new Jerusalem, that will lead to the heavenly city, that will lead to eternity. Man, what a great faith to have. We are part of Abraham's story. His faith has been passed down to us with the added assurance that comes from Christ's death and resurrection. 
and our life on this old earth may end before we see the fulfillment of that promise. But we follow after Christ with faith-based direction, with faith-based obedience, with faith-based joyful hope. And our faith says to Christ, our faith says to Christ, I trust you, not just your promises. You are a reliable person. You are a trustworthy person. We are blessed, church, to have that faith passed down to us from our patriarchs. I'm going to invite the band forward. I felt like the perfect bookend to today's take on faith uh, comes from back into the, the ever-beautiful Romans 4. Romans 4, in verse 3, says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then you skip down to verse 23, and it says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That justification that we have through Christ comes to us by the penalty-freeing death and resurrection of Jesus, which declares us righteous. And then freed from the power of sin, we are sanctified by listening to God's voice, obeying God's command, and following after Christ. And all along, giving glory to the founder and perfecter of our faith. And that is not a bummer. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to know what to pray in, in light of such awesome truth that even those of us in a gymnasium here in 2023 can stand on the truth that you have passed down the faith of Abraham to us and that we have the glorious opportunity to walk in it and in doing so glorifying you. Father, help us. Because we also know we can do it in our own strength. So Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we celebrate these truths in the way of communion, grow our faith and draw us closer to you and make yourself great to the world. Thank you, Lord. We pray all of these things in the name of the Father and the Son and by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen, Amen church.